Hello, this is Ken, your podcast preacher, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Waters. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in our lives. The title of this message is Dead Men Talking. So you have questions and you think you're ready for the answers? you prepared to grow. You're running for God with everything in you, right? Okay, here's a couple of things that I'm wrestling with that I don't totally have the answers to or even why this stuff is even in my head. But I do think that God is doing something different in this season. Our nation tells us that the world systems are shaking, baking, and breaking, and telling us that there's something new going on. Not new as an unexpected from God's view, but new as in the next thing for us, for this generation. So now God always responds to our response to him, at least in the sense of relationship, Revelation 3.20. And since we're not responding to him, and have chosen, even in ignorance, to follow the ways of those who worship devils, including the devils, then we're going to get the results that we're getting today, that other people got when they stopped following God and started to worship the devils of others. You see, we get these stories in the Old Testament. God's people did this all the time. This is why when they were instructed to kill everybody in a nation, as they were taking the promised land, it was so that they wouldn't get polluted with their dumb idols or with their evil worshiping. In the case of Solomon's reign, he knew that he was not to intermarry with foreign women, as they would turn his heart away from God to their silly gods and idols. And yes, that is exactly what happened towards the end of his life. And what of his wisdom if he doesn't listen to it as he prepares to cross over the finish line? Let's take a look as it is mostly assuredly occurring in America, and the it is turning away from God to silly idols. We are following the fools instead of Christianizing ourselves so as not to become one. 1 Kings 11, 1, 14. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as a daughter of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor are they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after they are gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Shamash, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. 
he was a descendant of the king in Edom. Hmm. Would he raise up an adversary against America? Hasn't that already happened with 9-11? This is just but one example. Our history is riddled with stories as we ask the God of all gods to exit our hearts. I mean, and forgive me if this comes off a little offensive, but we sometimes got to hear this stuff deep within our hearts and our inner ears. How stupid and lost must a Christian get to walk away from a living, breathing, seeing God who demonstrates that he alone is God and that there is no other, to sit on a log and carve it out into some odd shape and then say, there, he is now my God. Listen, I was also one who rejected the idea of God. I was a fool that thought I knew something about anything. Honestly, if I could go back in time, I would beat myself up for hurting the one who hung on the cross for my stupid sins. I would do it now, but I gotta keep typing. Now another issue that is not totally in line with the first part of the story, but supports it, is the idea that when Christians bring up a topic that is not popular, or even known by the mainstream Christianity Christians, that they or we are dubbed demon worshippers, or off, or not saved, or many of the other names that are tossed out to help us repel the truth. Of course it shouldn't be any surprise, but there is a saying that was birthed from that type of thinking, which is, and I quote, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I would add these days, unless it becomes a convenient lie. This looks something like if a Christian makes a mistake on something that they may be chatting about, that we don't discount everything they say just because of one or more mistakes that they have made. I know that we've done this, and on many occasions. I've read authors who wrote critically about some dead brother or sister in the Lord, and that they had something very derogatory to say about their ministry, which makes no sense at all. But Ken, I have to protect the flock from the false teachers and prophets. My thought is if we spent more time equipping the saints for the work of ministry, instead of criticizing other ministries, we may never have to correct stuff. Of course I'm exaggerating, but I did so for dramatic effect. Now when you look at their ministries, you know, the dead person that I was just talking about, it was oftentimes just as powerful, if not more so, than the person making the critique. Somewhere along the line, the minister may have gotten off on something, and so now it is preached and taught that the guy was wrong, and everything that he ever said is incorrect, so stay clear of his stuff, and him as well. Although I don't imagine anyone going to the graveyard just to hang out with the corpse expecting any response. Hey, you knew I was going there. So you see, we can walk away from God for many reasons. And when we do so, we will worship other false gods. It's a guarantee. We will also turn against each other and devour one another or even go after the dead, who, by the way, are hmm, dead, and try to get them to slap the guy standing next to us to prove we can actually talk to the dead. Hey, don't do this, because it is possible, but it has some very serious consequences that will no doubt prove that you are a stupid monkey boy if you do. Okay, monkey person. So the church itself is weakened by the nations turning away from God and by self-destruction. That is, devouring its own. And the judgment of God. Yes, we are under the judgment of God when we ask God to leave. Let's take a look at this. 1 Samuel 28, 3:20. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put mediums and the spiritualists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shinem. So Saul gathered all Israel together 
and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle, and he has his my pillow in his right hand. No, I just added that. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you, and has become your enemy, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me? For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand, and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you, into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or night. Now I did not include this to pique your interest in the dead, but to demonstrate that even kings can behave as stupidly as the rest of us. Saul, who claimed to know God, did not in fact know God, nor the fact that if he played with fire he might get burned. God was now his enemy. But I guess it wouldn't be true if you didn't believe in him. No, wait, Saul didn't, and yet there he is on God's blacklist. Hmm, are you an enemy of God? Who is actually your enemy? Can you face him as such and come out in any better way than you are right now in this moment? Nope. Ask the devil or any one of a thousand fallen angels how that turns out. We should not be going after the dead ministers who have gone before us. It brings into question your integrity. Yep, it makes me question what you are up to. Jesus did not teach anyone to not listen to Peter, nor did he throw Judas under the bus. Nope, he was busy doing he, as so should we. I'm also not sure if I should trust anything you say because you're off. 
and you're not doing what God has asked us to do in terms of how we treat one another and how we love one another and on and on and on. I often associate this stuff in parallel with the military. Could you imagine if all the soldiers were going down the field and every time one of them made a mistake, everybody stopped to criticize them, to judge them, rather than to continue fighting the battle? This wouldn't work. We need to push forward. If we're focusing on what God is doing and taking territory, then we really don't have time to criticize one another or to judge one another. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't train or correct, but there's a right way of doing that and a right time for doing that. But enough about that. And besides, you can't train a dead person. And try and correct them and see what kind of response you'll get. Listen, I've had people speak words over my life who eventually got sideways. But I don't discount everything that they said. Shoot, they just got sideways, and hopefully they'll get back straightways. I've been in the same boat. I know what that's like. What I find the most interesting is that the people that end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater are usually those who still act like babies. Yet we will call them Bible babies for lack of a better term. Now I say all of this to bring up a couple of questions. These are thoughts that I've read about, and there seems to be a lot of back and forth on them, and I'm not sure why there is. Anyways, one of the questions I have is, is God one God with the Son, or is he really three separate gods that are one like an egg one? I can explain the one God and a Son concept just based on how I am made up in his image and his likeness. I am one with the Son. I have a Son, I have a soul, and I have a spirit. Now, in eternity, those things could be separate as time and eternity operate differently. And we know for a fact where the term Trinity came from, and it didn't come from the Bible. But it actually came from some in history, and history has made it up because at the time, there was a competition to see who had the most gods. And for whatever reason, some people thought that having just one God wasn't enough. I know it sounds silly, but it's true. And no, I didn't hear it on Ripley's Believe It or Not. I actually read about it, but I forgot what book I read in it, so I can't give you the reference. However, others have also written about the Trinity mystery as well. No doubt the information is out there for you to discover on your own if you're interested. The next thing that's of interest to me is the Cyrus anointing gig. The history tells us that two of our presidents had. Truman had it and Trump had it. But the question is, and I've never actually heard but less than five people ever talk about this, what it means for our future. Jonathan Kahn wrote a couple of great books about it if you're interested. You could look this stuff up and read up on it, but I don't want you to get distracted or sideways. If you're called to do it, then you'll do it. And if you're not, then don't. Another question I have is why isn't the church equipping the saints for the work of ministry and making disciples at last? How is this not our number one focus? My last church I was in, we were in there for 14 years. And when he finally shut the doors, we had more babies than we started out with. How are we or they not bothered by that? I just don't understand. We focus so much on giving birth to new baby Christians, but could almost, and this is just my opinion, care less about bringing them into full maturity. We have churches that are 90% full of babies and they have very few parents. We see in life that we go from a baby to a young man to a father from a baby to a young woman to a woman. Now that is a type and a shadow of the spiritual world we ought to be incorporating at all three levels in the church. One parent can't handle 150 kids. 
But, and again, it's just based on my reading 605 books on religion and my 30 years of experience. This, too, is just my opinion. Another thought that's on my mind, and keep in mind, most of these things have just occurred in the last five years, in terms of my continue to read and try to learn and figure out who God is today, and what is my role and purpose on this planet today. But back to the issue or question. So what about the garden mystery? A who's your daddy mystery? So we go to the garden and we see that there was a spiritual adultery that took place, which really only makes sense if you pull in all the pieces. And the pieces start with a seed that killed Abel. Cain was from a different father. The Bible tells us that. Jude tells us that. Jesus tells us that. When he was disputing among the Jews. He said, you are of your father, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, if we go to Luke, we see that Cain is not even included in the genealogy of Adam. I say he is not there, and there is a reason. I did a message of three on this subject, so I won't go too deep into this one. Now, I'm not asking you to believe me, but if you're so inclined to at least look up the facts and determine for yourself if they are true or not, then you have to ask, what does it mean? How will this information affect your walk with God? Again, you have to ask for yourself, what does it mean for your growth, or how does it change your relationship with God? For me as I would hope that it would do the same for you, is that it starts to refocus me away from the things of this planet, and it starts to really focus me on what's going on in today's world, and how many things on this planet are really influenced by the kingdom of God in ways I cannot or haven't yet seen. And I know that the ignorant would say everything, but that does not mean that they have understanding of that knowledge. I could go on, but I think that these questions are enough. The point of this is to say that I do believe that God is doing something different. The word is opening up in different ways. New and fresh revelation is coming about. And I think that he's trying to prepare us for something bigger and very different. I also think that he wants something from us. And that is for us to turn away from worshiping demons and get back to worshiping him. It's not too late. I know that there's a time coming when the Gentile age will be over. The Bible tells us this. Look. Luke 21:24, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You see, I don't just think that we have to be the group or the generation that facilitates that or brings that about. I think God will stay his hand if we get back to doing what I think he wants us to do. And I think he's looking for a Joel chapter 2 army. This is not necessarily an end time army per se. It just says that there will be none other like it, now or forever, which tells us that there's going to be a time after that army existed. So why can't it exist now? Why can't we be the generation that says enough? Why? You have to go and ask yourself why. And you have got to have an answer, because you'll give an account for it sooner or later. And if you're hearing me today, you can rewrite your future today upon the hearing and doing of that which is contained in this message and in the Word of God. For sure, we do not need to be told that things are bad and that things are oddly off. Lots of things don't make sense. How can we end up with a government that seems to have lost its way? Much of what can be witnessed in those discussions between the politicians is barely a click above high school behavior. And this is not to say of the double standard we have in terms of wrongdoings. If staff did what some of their bosses got caught doing, They would have been cast out with the broken office partitions. It seems, no, it really is, 
that many people are walking around completely blind and oblivious to the things that they are doing and saying. No doubt we have this in our politics and we have this in some of our churches. Well, many of our churches. Blindness is simply due to a hard heart. It is simply due to religion and it's due to demonic worship. You can think you're doing everything right and totally be off. We see stories about this all the time in the Bible. We know that Peter did it right, right? He corrected Jesus, and Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, for you don't know the things of God. And I think if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to any of us, regardless of what or where we think we are in our relationship with God. Everybody has blind spots, and everybody closes their ears, and everybody has hard hearts or hard parts to their heart. But however, I just think if we continue to focus on what God is doing, open up our ears and our eyes, and asking him to do it again, that is, to bring revival, the hardness will go soft. We want him to bring his very convicting presence back on this planet, as he did similar in the Welsh revival. Perhaps then we can once again see and believe for the impossible. Judgment is to begin in the house of God, so let it be. May we all who call ourselves Christians be crushed once again and refined into humility, that we will have a renewed appetite for God and to do his will. My friends, nothing has changed from the original twelve who turned the world upside down other than that we've been able to see in and throughout history that the church gets hot, then it gets cold, and perhaps even lukewarm, but then it gets hot again and so on and so forth. We are in a season where the things that have taken place and are taking place on this spinning rock should cause a Christian heart to groan for him, or that we would be found missing him again, that we would want to see him. I mean, don't you want to know him who called you out of darkness and has provided a way for you to get to know him right here on earth? God responds to spiritual hunger. If you're not hungry for him, you are not paying attention. You know, I read recently what a boy would give just to get a girlfriend that he liked and how much time she occupied his mind. And I think God should be 10 times that powerful in our lives. And only you could answer the question, is he? Is he more important to you than that? than a new car, than a bigger house, than more money. Hunger is contagious and fire can spread from one dead being to another. If he is not present with us to do his will, we are all in trouble, and suffering timeouts won't suffice for what follows. In truth, how many of us does it take to change an entire world if nothing is impossible with God, and 12 guys with no technology set the world on fire? Every generation has its part. It has its calling and purpose. I think our part right now is to usher in, pray in, to cry out for God to do it again. Touch this planet with your presence again, Lord. Least we perish purposeless and incomplete in our assigned task. Well, that's it for today. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from them. Together, we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of life to shine through into people's lives. Plant a seed and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in deep waters.